We are in a series today called From Atheist to Disciple. From Atheist to Disciple, and I'm taking us from every level, from the point of where someone says there's no such thing as God, to the point where in life where they say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life and everything I have is yours, not just because you're my friend and savior, but you are the Lord of my life. So as we go through these steps, at some point in one of these sermons, it's going to really resonate with you so well, and you're going to think, man, that's me, and I'm going to try to help you get to the next step and the next level. So that's really the point of this series. Um, last week we talked about atheism and how to uh, converse with somebody who says there's no such thing as God, and I proved to you scientifically that you can't say there's no such thing as God. It's impossible to say that unless you know everything. And uh, before we get into part two today, I want to read you a scripture in Colossians 4, verse 6. It says this, let your conversation always be full of grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Always full of grace. In other words, you're not there to condemn anybody and you're not there to point the finger and how stupid are you to believe what you believe. You got to have grace. But listen, season with salt. Everybody say salt. You know what it's like to go through the Bojangles drive-thru and not have enough seasoning on your french fries, right? You go back in there and take it. I need some more seed. You got to have some salt in there. In other words, speak the truth. Speak the truth, but in love. But the truth sometimes is very convicting. Here's the best part, though. So you know how to answer everyone. The point of last week's sermon and today's sermon is to help all of us as believers be able to answer the tough questions that people ask who don't know Jesus. So I think that's why your sermon handout is going to be really, really special for you today. Keep it, hold on to it so you know how to answer everyone. Okay, part two for your notes. Today I want to talk to you about agnosticism. Agnosticism. I should have actually written it on your handout because it's a long word, but the, the way it's spelled is up on the screen. I hope the screen's correct. Agnosticism. And agnosticism, the word gnostic, gnostic or gnosko is the Greek word for knowledge, and the A-G means not. So agnosticism really means this. I don't know if there's a God. I just don't know. Maybe there is. I'm not saying there's not. I'm saying I don't know if there's a God. So last week there were four questions that must be answered to form a truthful worldview that fulfills the heart and mind of every person. Those four questions are this. Origin. Where did I come from? Meaning. Why am I here? Morality. How do I differentiate between good and evil? How do I know what's good? How do I know what's bad? And fourth, destiny. What happens after I die? Uh, as a side note, and you might want to write this down, the only worldview, the only worldview that answers all four of these questions logically is the Christian Judeo worldview, is our worldview. It's the only one that actually answers all four questions that must be answered to fulfill the human heart and mind. It's important I keep saying and mind because Christianity is also logic. God has an entire book in the Bible called Proverbs, which is all about wisdom and common sense. So don't think being a Christian means it's a blind leap of faith. It's not. There's logic behind it as well. And of course, salvation's a heart issue, but we need to know the logic. So origin, why am I here? Meet up. Origin, how did I get here? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, what is good and bad? And destiny, what happens after I die? So we're going to stick with some of those four, with those four things in point number one today. And point number one for your notes is this. Why believe in the Christian God? Why believe the Judeo-Christian God? Why, believe, why can't we believe in Buddha? Why not Muhammad? Why not um, Joseph Smith? Why not Gandhi? You know, why, why, why is this God, if I'm going to believe in God, and I don't know if there's a God, I'm agnostic, don't know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. but if I'm going to believe, why should I believe in the Christian God? 
Isaiah 43, 10 says this, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Just so you know, the only God, which is the one true God, that's there in the beginning and is going to be there in the end is our God. Every other one of those little G gods is already dead. Buddha's dead, Muhammad's dead, and they stayed dead. Our God was there in the beginning. Our God was there, is going to be there in the end. Now, so the four questions, origin, meaning, morality, that's here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you some facts about some other worldviews, and I chose to pick just one or two reasons why it is illogical to be a part of those worldviews. Now, listen, I could have picked dozens of things. I only chose one or two. And listen, the one or two things I chose are things that everyone from that faith believes. In other words, if, I, uh, if someone was to judge Christianity, I would not want them to judge Christians by what we believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, because every Christian believes something different. I would not want someone to judge Christianity based on what we believe about the rapture, because man, if you want to see a fight on the internet, look at Christians talking about the rapture. Pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib, lots of trib, you know, they're tripping out. You know? so, so, so if we're going to judge Christianity, by what, then you would judge by what we believe about salvation. Because everyone believes Jesus is the only way. If you're going to judge Christianity, judge us by the Ten Commandments, because we all believe in the Ten Commandments. You understand what I'm saying? So when I go over some worldviews with you, I'm choosing something, not that just 70% believe, not 85% believe, but most all of them believe. So we're on the same page, right? Okay, let me give you an example before I get into the main worldviews. Let me do Catholicism. Now, I know I got a lot of Catholics in here and a lot of former Catholics, so I'm not here to offend. I'm just the mailman. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, okay? Just tell you what the Bible says. So, most all Catholics believe that your sins can be forgiven if you confess to a priest. Okay, just listen. I love you with all my heart. That is totally, completely unbiblical, okay? Why would you confess to some man in a booth when the man who died for your sins... On a cross, he's the one you're supposed to confess to. You didn't hurt the man in the booth. You hurt the guy on the cross. So we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Okay, another thing that most all Catholics believe is that you can pray to Mary or some of the saints. Okay, that's putting a God before the one true God. You cannot. Mary does not hear your prayers. No matter how hard you try or how much you beg, you pray to God in the name of Jesus. Okay, so that's how. So that's how I'm going to do this. Now, I didn't offend anybody quite yet, right? It gets better. Don't leave. You'll be okay. I promise. I promise. So that was just a quick one. Okay, I'm going to do some main world views for the next few minutes. Okay, you ready? Say, oh yeah. Is, are y'all bored? Are y'all okay? Okay, just making sure. I can bore you if you want me to. Okay. So here's the first one. With two we're going to look at: Buddhism and Hinduism. Now, the reason I put these two together on the screen is because Buddhism came out of Hinduism and they share a lot of beliefs. Two things they share that I think are illogical. Two things they share are karma and reincarnation. Now, here's the problem with karma, which they say is um, if you do good, good comes back. If you do bad, comes back. Now, the Bible says you reap what you sow. Okay, The Bible says you reap what you sow. If you sow an orange seed, you're going to get an orange tree. You're not going to get a lemon tree. But Buddhists and, karma, Buddhists and Hindus say their karmas do good, good comes back, do bad comes back. Here's the problem with that. Buddhists have no God, so they are atheists, okay? And Hindus are polytheistic. That means they have many gods, a god of the moon or a god of the sun, a god of the cow or whatever, all these different gods. Here's the problem with, having, with believing in karma if you're part of this faith is this. They have no line of morality. They have no God if you're Buddhist. They're polytheistic if you're Hindu. So nothing tells them what's right and wrong. So how do you know if you're going to do good or bad for good or bad to come back to you? Here's what they believe in subjective morality. 
Subjective morality means that every person gets to decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. The problem with subjective morality, there's a lot of problems. One is if your child believes that it's okay for him or her to eat the entire tub of ice cream, you can't tell them no because you believe that everyone gets to decide for themselves what's right and wrong. So there's no teaching or correcting. Um, if you believe in subjective morality, and it's funny, all the Hindus, all the Buddhists who believe in subjective morality, they all lock their doors at night. Why do you lock your doors if you believe that everyone's just naturally good and everyone's going to do the right thing? You have no line to say what is good and what is bad, so there's no morality to tell you good, right, and wrong. Um, reincarnation, they believe that every birth is payment for the previous birth. Well, the first problem is, where's the origin? What was I paying for in my first birth? They can't answer that question. Then if I'm paying for things, if I'm going to be a king in my next life or a grasshopper in my next life, how do I know if there's no morality if I was doing good or bad to be reincarnated into something good or bad? There's no line for that. So it's kind of illogical. Uh, the goal of every Buddhist is to cease desire. The goal of every Buddhist as they grow in their faith is to never want anything. Uh, so the Buddhist just recently, a few years ago, decided to ordain a woman. But when they found out that this woman desired to see her children, they took her children away from her. And she was in an interview and she told how they did this and they, they, she told how they're right in doing this because I did want to be with my children. So they took my children away. And the interviewer said, well, when will they let you see your children? And she said, as soon as I no longer want to see them, then they'll allow me to have my children back in my life. Because their goal is to never desire anything. Now, here's the funny thing. The quintessential expression of the Buddhist faith is the Dalai Lama. Every time the Dalai Lama for the past few years has spoken, taught, or preached, somewhere in his message he always says how much he wants the liberation of Tibet. So he, the, the quintessential expression of their faith is the Dalai Lama. And this is the man. They follow everything he says. Whatever, if he says pray three times and look east, they pray three times and look Whatever he says. But their whole faith rides upon growing to the point where you never want anything. And every time he preaches, he talks about how much he wants the desire, the desire of the liberation of Tibet. He wants freedom from Tibet. And so when he's interviewed, well, you say that you're not supposed to want anything and you keep telling everybody how much you want, you know, liberation of Tibet. He never answers that question. He never answers that question. So to me, for me, that's why I'm not a Buddhist or a Hindu. And there's a lot more reasons, but that's two of them. Okay, Islam. Here's my problem with Islam. Again, I could have given you a dozen things. The Quran was written in 600 A.D., okay, 600, that was just a, 1,500 years ago, and, um, and this is, of course, thousands of years after God created the earth and people. So the Quran is the only historical document in the world that denies that Jesus died on a cross. Now, every other historian, pagan, every other pagan historian, every other Jewish historian, Christian historians, uh, Roman, Greek, Every other historical document in the world says Jesus died on the cross. So the Quran actually makes a claim that is totally and completely untrue. Not only that, and I feel bad to even, even read a scripture, but the Quran in chapter 2, verse 256 says this. There is no compulsion being forced to believe in religion. They believe with all of their heart you should never, ever, ever be forced to be a Muslim. Ever, 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 ever. Never be forced. There should be total freedom. Now here's the problem. That's good. But if any Muslim decides to stop being a Muslim and convert to Christianity, they get murdered. Wow. 
So if there's freedom to believe, there should also be freedom to disbelieve. And don't even get me started on destiny. The 72 versions that Allah gives you if you kill yourself while killing other people and die as a martyr, which totally puts men above women and is very irrational. Okay, so here we go. The last one. Uh, evolutionism, humanism, pantheism, Darwinism, all these isms. If this is your scientific worldview, listen real close. They address none of the four questions. Not a single one. None of these isms address origin, meaning, morality, or destiny. Let's just start with origin, okay? No matter how far, how much you slice back the universe in its physical form, no matter how much you slice it back, no matter how much you find out this was created from this and this was created from this, no matter how far you get, you will always come up with a physical entity that does not explain itself. You understand, no matter how far you slice back the world, the universe, Mars, Earth, whatever it is, you can find, you can get it to the most minute state. I mean, you can get it down to, oh, we came from this atom right here, this molecule, and you put it under the biggest telescope. No matter how far you slice it back, you will always come up with a physical entity, something that is physical, that does not explain itself. Therefore, the explanation of its existence and origin has to be outside of itself. So this, these isms, they can give you no origin whatsoever. Not only does the, does the, does the origin of, this, of, of our universe have to be outside of itself, it has to come from something spiritual that you can't see, obviously, and also obviously has to come from something intelligent. Because the more detailed the finding, the more intelligent the creator behind it. Um, when it comes to these isms, they have no meaning. They can't tell you the meaning of life. They believe we're metaphysical, time, matter, and chance. Okay, if we're metaphysical and we're just like the trees and that kind of thing, then explain to me love. Explain why I would die for my children in a second without even thinking. If saving their life meant giving up mine, there would not be a question. I would not hesitate. Explain that if you think we're just metaphysical. Uh, when it comes to morality, and you're a scientist, if you have a scientific worldview, what tells you that you should be honest in what you find? I mean, if you could get an extra million dollars, grant money to lie about something and say, we found this and, and it came from, you know, five million years ago. Well, how do we know you're being honest if you have no line of morality as a scientist? Where do your morals come from? What tells you what is right and what is wrong? What tells you what's good and bad? If killing this person to save these three people... If that makes sense scientifically, then what's wrong with doing it? Taking my child to save the lives of 12 more children. I mean, if you're a scientific worldview, then you can just kidnap my child because there's nothing that's telling you right and wrong when it comes to morals. Okay, agnosticism. And this is the one we're talking about today. I want to read you. There was a book written by Richard Dawkins called The God's Delusion. Richard Dawkins um, is an atheist. He has an atheistic worldview. And he's very intelligent, but he wrote God's Delusion. Now, after he wrote that book, very famous book, David Berlinski, who was the world's leading physicist at the time, one of the smartest men in the world, who's an agnostic, wrote a response to God's Delusion book called The Devil's Delusion. Okay, He's an agnostic. So he says, I don't know if there's a God. I want to read you a direct quote from his book written by an agnostic scientist, one of the most brilliant men on the planet. He said this, has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything 
so long as it is not a religious thought close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, and what is moral? Not even close. Has secularism in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. If you watch the news, ever. Does anything in the sciences or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. An agnostic wrote that. One of the most brilliant men on the planet who doesn't know if there's a God. Just proved there's no way to say there's no God. So if we believe in this God, then where did God come from? Where did God come from? When you ask the question, where did something come from? You assume that that thing is inside of the space and time continuum. In other words, you assume that it is from space, matter, um, from space, matter, and time. When you ask, where did this come from? You assume that it came from some time period. You assume that it's matter, something you can feel, something you can see, something that's, that's out there. And you assume that there's space involved, that it had to take up some type of space. Time, matter, and space. Now, when you ask, where did God come from? Wouldn't it be funny if we worshiped a God who was limited to the very thing that he created? I mean, is the guy that created this, this overhead projector, is he inside of the overhead projector or is he on the outside of it? He's on the outside of it. Why would we ever worship a God that was limited to the very thing he created? You want to see where God came from? Watch this. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens. There's space and the earth. There's matter. My God, who's worth worshiping, is not inside of his creation. He's on complete outside of it. He created his creation, and that's why we worship him. So last week, I told you how it is scientifically impossible to be an atheist. And here's why. If you said there's no such city in the world named Aner, I would say, do you know the name of every city on planet Earth? Well, no, I don't. Then you can't say there's one that's not named Aner. If you don't know every city's name, you can't say that. For you to say that, that God doesn't exist, you have to have all knowledge. For you to say that he's not, you know, he's, he's not over there, he's not, you have to know everything to say there's no such thing as God. Let me give you a better example. If I went to Hawaii on a vacation and I was talking to some people and I said, listen, back home in Myrtle Beach, we have a great church. There's great people. We have these great elders in church. There's this one elder. There's this guy who's always fixing stuff around church for me. His name is Bob Raff. He's a friend of mine. We talk on a regular basis. I love him. He loves me. And that guy said, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no such man in the world named Bob Raff. And I said, what do you mean? He says, no, there's not a single man on planet Earth named Bob Raff. Here's what I would say. Do you know the name of every man on planet Earth? To definitively say that? Well, no, I don't know. Well, then how can you say there's not a man named Bob Raff if you don't know the name of every single man on earth? But see, I can look at him and I can say there is a man named Bob Raff. I don't have to know the name of every man on planet earth. I only have to know one man, Bob Raff, who's my friend. We talk on a regular basis. I love him. He loves me. Okay, listen for you to say God doesn't exist, you have to have all knowledge. For me to say God does exist, I could be dumb as a box of rocks. I only have to know one person, God. And I can say he does exist because I talk to him on a regular basis. I know him, he knows me, I love him, he loves me, and he is my God. So I can definitively say that God does exist. 
Okay, point number two. And point number two and three are a lot shorter. Point number two is this. Why does God let bad things happen? Why does God, if this is the God y'all serve, this Christian, he's got good all of it. Why does he let bad things happen? Deuteronomy 30, 19, God said this. I give you the, what's that word? Say it real loud. Choice. I give you the choice between blessings and curses. I have given you the choice. You have a choice. Okay, ready? Remember, we're talking logic. I know that this is not a lot of spiritual stuff, but it's a lot of logic today. I realize, so stay with me. There are four options when God created the world. He only had four options. That's it, okay? Option number one, no world. He could have just created no world, right? That's an option to never have a family, never have a relationship with somebody that's in your image. Never, he could, he could have no world, okay? Option number two, an immoral world. Now, here's what immoral means. It means there's no such thing as good and bad. God could have created a world where there's no such thing as right, no such thing as wrong. Now, you would never experience joy because you'd never experience sorrow. You'd never experience peace because you'd never experience strife. But there'd be no, no good, no matter what you did, it would, it would, there would never be right or wrong. If you killed, if you gave somebody a pie, same thing. No, in fact, I'll give you an example. Remember when Cain killed Abel? Remember Adam and Eve's sons? One of them killed the other son? Okay, you know that Cain had no idea what he did, right? God had not yet presented the right and wrong moral law. The Ten Commandments came later. There were some morals before that, but the Ten Commandments were the main ones. Thou shalt not kill. But Cain had no idea. He just got angry, and he got a rock, and he hit his brother over the head with it. And he thinks, what's that red stuff coming out of his head? Why isn't he getting up? What's wrong? No one had ever died. He had no idea. He's just going on with his life now. God never said, don't kill. There was never any moral law yet. So that's what he could have done. Here's number three, a predetermined world. That is a world where we are forced to only do right. We are forced to do good every single time. There's no, there's no way we could ever do wrong. There's morals, but we're forced to always, listen, we're forced to always say the right thing. We're forced to only sleep the right amount of hours and we're forced to work these amount of hours. We are forced to only think the right thoughts. We are forced to only, only look in the right direction. We're forced to only do right. That's the predetermined world. And here's the fourth option, the world that God created. Now, the world that God created, which is this world, is the only world in which love is possible. It's the only world in which you have a free will to choose to love. Because the only way you can choose love is if you can choose hate. This is the only world where you can ever be loved by somebody. Because it's the only one where you can choose to allow somebody to love you. Interesting. So let me give you an example to kind of help you see why does God, why, why do bad things happen? Imagine that you have a GPS and you have put in your GPS the place where you want to end up. And you pull out a church here and the GPS says go left and you go right. And then a few miles later, the GPS says, go straight, and you turn around. And then a few miles later, the GPS says, go right, and you go left. And you do this month after month, year after year. And then one day, you end up at this destination that is so far away from where you wanted to be. And here's what you do. You blame it on the cell phone. I can't believe you. It's all your fault. You're crushing the cell phone. Why did you let this happen? And the, G the series saying to you, I told you which direction to go. You were the one that I told you don't get in a relationship with this person and you did it anyway. I told you to use your money this way, but you used it this way. 
I told you to go to bed at this time, but you went to bed. I told you don't watch that movie, and you watched it anyway. I've been your, God's saying I've been your GPS since the day you were born. I've been speaking to your conscience. I'm speaking through people. I'm speaking through experiences. And you chose to go, and now you're blaming God? Psalms 89, 14 says, God is just. Listen real close. God would not be a just God if he gave you a choice and then violated that choice. He would not be a just God if he gave you a choice and then violated. Listen, to give you the dignity of freedom and free will and then violate that free will is totally unjust and it prevents you from love. For God to say, I'm going to give you a choice to love your children. And then when you choose not to, to force you to do it, that's, that's being completely and totally unjust. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this. Well, why, why is there cancer? Why is there COVID-19? Why is there disease in the world? What did we do to deserve that? Okay, Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. You want to know why there's so much death in the world? Because there's so much sin in the world. God created a perfect world. Everything was perfect. We're the ones that put the disease in the world. No one's forcing you to not smoke that or not eat that or not live that way or choose to never get enough sleep or whatever. No one, listen, you have the free choice. You can't, we can't. You say, well, um, COVID, COVID came from somewhere else. What did we do to deserve COVID? Okay, listen, you can't benefit from people's free will without also um, having to reap the, the hurt from people's free will. In other words, the doctor that chose to spend 12 years studying so that he could operate on your child and save your child's life, yay, is the same free will from somebody else that chose to murder. You can't be in a world where you benefit from this person's love and not reap the results from this person's hate. That's the world we live in. Only world where love is possible. You say, well, what about children who are born with deformities? What about children that only live three or four days? What about people that are in you know, a, a certain state their entire life that's not like everybody else and they're hurting and they're in pain and they, they go through these horrible tragedies? What about that stuff? Okay, it says in James 4.14, your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. So I want to give you an analogy to help you understand anytime you think of the most horrific things on planet Earth, okay? Anytime the most horrific things occur, I want you to always think about this um, that didn't go very far, did it? This, um, this, this um, extension cord, okay? So let's pretend like this is the longest extension cord in the world, which it, it, might, it might really be that. But let's pretend like this extension cord goes out of the building and it goes all around planet Earth a bazillion trillion times. That's how long this thing is, okay? I got it from the Lowe's and Aner. It goes all around the whole world, okay? Now... This extension cord represents your life because you're going to live for all of eternity in heaven or hell, but you're going to live forever, forever and ever and ever. This is your life forever and ever and ever. Okay. Your life on earth is represented by this little plug on the end. Whether you live to be one day old on earth or a hundred years old on earth, when you divide it into infinity and eternity, it's the same number. If you live to be three days old on earth or 3,000 years old on earth and you divide it into eternity, it's still the same number. You know, when you're a child and you get a shot, you think it's the end of the world. Oh, you hate me. I can't believe you did this to me. 
me. You're my mother. How could you let this happen? When you get a shot as an adult, you think, oh, I don't like that, but, you know, kind of no big deal. You know why? As an adult, you realize, hey, life's a lot bigger than a shot. When you're a kid, you think it's the end of the world. Same with a bee sting or anything, a paper cut, you know? We need to always look at life, not as earth, but look at it as all of eternity. Because compared to being with Jesus forever and ever 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 in heaven, no matter what you go through in this time, it's not really that big of a deal. Is it? That was a stinking good analogy too, by the way. That was really good. Okay, so no, too late. You could have clapped earlier. Okay, let me give you a story that may help you with questions like that in life. There was once this farmer who had a young son who, he, they were kind of poor, but he tried his best to, you know, provide for him. And one day, their number one most favorite, best working horse got out of the fence and, and ran away. And the neighbor looked over the fence to the farmer and said, man, you got bad luck. Your main horse just ran away. And the farmer said, what do I know about luck? Well, the next day, that horse came running back home and brought 20 horses with him. Wild horses from out in the wilderness. And they came running right through the gate. The farmer closed the gate and now he's got 21 horses. And the neighbor looks over the fence and says, man, you got good luck. Your horse ran away and brought back 20. You got 21 horses. The farmer said, what do I know about luck? A few days later, the young son was out trying to tame one of the wild horses. And the wild horse kicked the son in the leg, broke his leg. Horrible break. They had to call in the village doctor, bandaged him up. He's on crutches. And the neighbor looked over the fence and said, man, farmer, you got bad luck. Your horse ran away, brought back 20, and one of them broke your son's leg. The farmer said, what do I know about luck? A few weeks went by, and this band of thieves, these horrible men, came traveling through different villages looking to kidnap well-abled-bodied young men to recruit for their gang and go do the, all the thieving and everything they do. And they came to the farmer's house and they were about to kidnap the young son. And one of them said, oh, his legs broke. So they left him there and they went on about their way. The farmer looks at the neighbor, looks over the fence, says, farmer, you got great luck. Your horse ran away, brought back 20, broke your son's leg. And now the gang did not kidnap your child. The farmer said, what do I know about luck? Now, Listen, I could do this all day for the rest of the sermon up until next week. Okay, here's the point. Romans 8, 28. We believe all things work together for good. Now, I'm going to add a phrase in here, okay? To those who choose to love God. Listen, you want things to change on earth? Why don't you pray? You're in a relationship with the one who can actually do some change in on earth. Why don't you pray when bad things happen? Okay, last point. Point number three and we'll be done. Why would God only make one way? If this is this great God, all loving, why would he make only one way? John 4, 14, 6 is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why is there only one way? Why can't we get to heaven through Buddha? Why can't we get to heaven through Muhammad? Why can't we get through heaven through Gandhi? Like, why can't we do, why can't we pray to Mary and get to heaven? Why is only one way? Okay, listen, let me just give you some, some, some science behind this. Truth, by definition, is always full of boundaries. It's always full of closed doors when you're trying to find the truth. As an example, two plus two equals, why does it equal five? Why does it equal six? I believed my whole life that it equaled three. 
I can't believe you're telling me two plus two is four. You're wrong. No, I'm not. It's always going to equal four because that's the truth. What color is the carpet up here? It's not blue. It's not yellow. It's not orange. The closer we get to finding out the truth, the more boundaries, the more things we find are not the truth. It's not it's not purple. It's not green. I wish it were orange. It's not orange. It's not gray. It's not white. The truth is the carpet is black. It can't be black and orange. It's black. That's the truth. Acts 4.12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Skeptics are so concerned, they say, with all these different religions and all these different paths that people say to get to heaven. Why did this all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God only make one way? And the truth of the matter is, that is not the correct question. The question is not, why would this all-powerful, all-loving, all-good God only make one way for us to get to Him? The question is, why would this all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good and perfect God make Anyway, for us to get to him, the very fact that he made a way should be enough for us to bend our knees, lift our hands and say, thank you, Jesus. And the fact that that way has been revealed to you. That's amazing. You need to thank whoever invited you to church today. That's the greatest gift you could ever be told about. There's only one problem. You have a choice. That's the problem. You have a free will. C.S. Lewis said this. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who bend their knee to God and say to him, your will be done. And those who refuse to bend their knee to God and God says to them, okay, your will be done. You can't live in a world where love is possible and then get upset when you don't choose it. God would not be a just God if he did not give every single person a chance to be saved. Listen, everyone that's in hell right now was given a total, free, and complete chance to receive Jesus. What about people in Africa that don't have TV? And what about this? That, listen, the Bible says God speaks to our conscience. It says he speaks to us through his creation, mountains, sun, trees. Every person has had a full chance. And every person that's in hell, listen has inexhaustibly and totally and over and over again rebelliously rejected that chance millions of times. Every second they were breathing, God was giving them a chance. Speaking to them through people, through creation, through things. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Last point is this. You know the game hide and seek? We're, we're in that game right now. But listen, God's not the one hiding. It just says he's the one seeking. He's the one seeking. Everyone that's in heaven right now chose to be in heaven. They made the decision. They, they chose to live there for all of eternity. Okay, here's my question today. Will you allow God to find you? You're the one hiding. Will you allow, will you, will you allow yourself to be found? That's the question today. And that's how we converse with an agnostic.